What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibbs. I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDcast, a podcast resource dedicated to telling stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. Before we get any further into today's episode, I would like you to go over to iTunes or wherever you get this podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps the show to grow up on the charts as well as continue to tell the SID story. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Sports Infocast and sign up for our newsletter at SIDcast.fireside.com. .fm slash newsletter. Now, let's get into today's conversation. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of SIDcast. We are kicking off year number three of podcast. If you did not know, last Friday was our third year anniversary uh, of me doing this. Our first ever episode was October 11th of 2016 uh, when I was, oh gosh, 21 years old. Um, I recorded that in the office of one of my former bosses, Tyler Jester, at uh, Hanover College. He is now with uh, Ohio Dominican, uh, but I showed up at his office and what turned into me just pressing record with him in the room uh, has now turned into 136 episodes of pure uh, content, if that's what you want to call it. Um, and today is no different. I really, really did enjoy today's conversation. Again, thank you, everyone. Uh, I should probably say this again. Um, thanks, everybody, for their participation in the uh, second Hall of Fame Awards. Last week, we honored 10 new members into our SID Cast Hall of Fame. They'll be getting uh, cover arts here very soon. Uh, that's on one of my to-do lists that I have going on. Uh, if you don't know who they are, head over to our social channels. As the intro said, you can find us at, at Sports Infocast on Twitter and Facebook. Um, you'll find out who the winners are, or you can go back and listen to last week's episode. So, um, yeah, not much in, in the wave of, of anything else going on. My neighbors are. I'm pretty sure they're watching it. Chapter 1, uh, the movie, above me. I think I've heard the soundtrack. I de- I've definitely heard this movie before, but I, I can't quite place what it is. I think that's what it is. Um, kind of weird that I can hear that, but we're gonna—that's life at the moment, and we're gonna—it is what it is, and we're we're gonna kind of run with it. Uh, a couple things I wanted to to mention before, actually, just one thing I really need to mention. Um, I don't bleep out stuff. Uh, I think we're all grown adults here. I think if there are some high schoolers listening, then. You probably say worse stuff than we do at uh, some points. So um, that being said, did not bleep out this episode at one part. So if you do listen with children in the car, um, it doesn't happen a lot. I'm making it sound like we did drop the, the F-bomb, every other word, but we didn't. It was just Paul. So it was Paul's fault. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you can blame him if uh, your kid's in the car or anybody else and you're like oh wow that kind of slipped in there um i think it's great i think it's an amazing story i think his whole story of how he um essentially walked into uh freshman year uh and undergrad at arkansas monticello um looking for basically to get his photo id taken um went in to get a picture taken walked out with a job and you guys will find out more about that um exactly how he got to be an intern, then a full-time 
sort of uh, head-ass idea at a Division One level and a conversation that he had. Um, and then we'll talk about little little things like what you value moving forward because Paul, like many of you, might have stepped away from the profession and some of you might have be sitting there um, at your 9-to-5, your new 9-to-5s that you have now, and, and you might have the bug, you might not. You might be perfectly content with where you're at, and that's fine. Um, but he talked about how he got back into it at first in Oakland, up in Michigan, uh, and the things that were non-negotiable for him, which I think that everybody should have those non-negotiables, whether it be with uh, a job or a relationship or um, a new opportunity. Uh, I think those are important to have. Um, we also talk a little bit toward the end, uh, a conversation I think everybody needs to have. Um, assertiveness. We talked about that. We gave you, provided you guys some great resources. Uh, if if you were like me a couple of years ago and you said to yourself, I'm tired of being pushed around, um, this is a good starting point and the resource, the book that I provided and, and the advice that Paul has had um, a little bit later uh, will definitely send you on the right track. So um, let's not uh, dilly-dally any longer. Let's get straight into it. Kicking off year number three of SID Cast, episode 136, and Paul Smith of the Arkansas Tech University Athletics. I know they have two names, can't think of them off the top of my head right now, Paul. So you are going to live with that, and let's get rolling with uh, his sport background growing up right here on SID. It was, well, it was both. Um, I showed up for freshman orientation. I did my undergrad at uh, University of Arkansas at Monticello. And I showed up to uh, get my student ID photo taken, you know, just orientation day. And the lady who was taking the pictures asked me, she says, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And uh, kind of put me on the spot there. So I said, well, I guess I kind of want to write about sports. And she says, you know, I've got somebody you need to meet. And so she took me upstairs and, uh, introduced me to a man named Jim Brewer. Jim was the director of media relations for the university, and he had just hired a new SID from the newspaper world. Um, he says, you know anything about computers? And, you know, I guess I, I'd been on AOL a little bit as a kid. So I said, yeah, I guess so. And he said, all right, you're hired. <laughs> and uh, that Thursday night, um, I did stat crew for a football game uh, for, you know, it was just, it was our first time going at it. So we said, okay, let's get it done. And, um, I don't remember hitting any bumps in the road. I felt like the game itself went pretty smoothly. I mean, we were bad, so uh, it wasn't like there were going to be that many complicated plays going in. But uh, but that was kind of it. I mean, that Jim hired me right on the spot before I ever took my first class. And, you know, it's been a while, um, probably dating myself, but it was the fall of 98. Um, I would have to say that it was either on my first day of class. I think it was a Thursday night game and class and school started on Thursday that year. I mean, it was either on the first day of class or before I started my first football game. And, uh, you know, I've been at it pretty much the whole time since. Yeah. It's kind of a hell of a first day. I mean, how did that feel? Like you literally walked in just because your picture taken, you come walking out with a job. I mean, how did that feel? I didn't know what to uh-huh. feel. You know, it was just, Oh, you know, cool. I'm going to get to, you know, make a little money and go to the games. Um, I didn't know about their athletic program or the Gulf South conference or, um, you know, anything like that. I did. 
I had no familiarity with the concept of Division II. I grew up watching Michigan football and Michigan State basketball. And, uh, you know, here I am on these campus, on this campus, and we're playing schools I've never heard of in my life. Um, but, uh, boy, they're taking it seriously. So it, it was just kind of one of those things where I got involved and uh, it went from there. How did this job evolve um, as you kind of went through it? I mean, you started as a freshman. Did you stay on all four four years or were you um, just strictly stat? Did they ever give you a sport? I mean, what happened? Well, you know, we, we didn't have um, sport assignments right then. The SID pretty well handled things. And uh, the director that I worked under for my first two years of college uh, was a guy named Tim Munn. And uh, Tim was a good guy. Really enjoyed working for him. Um my junior year, I want to say, um, he uh, he left to go back into the newspaper world, and oh, wow. they made me the interim director while I was still in school. So, um, you know, 21 years old, and I'm running the PR for the program. Now, I still had a good year and a half uh, before I finished school, but, you know, we made it through the spring, and uh, then... Uh, you know, I, I think I was bit by the bug at that point. Um, I felt like, okay, this is something I could see myself doing. Um, you know, it was funny. I even went and interviewed for a job at one of our conference opponents whose name I won't mention right now, but it, none of the personnel are the same, so I wouldn't be uh, offending anybody. But they bring me in for an interview, and I ask them point blank. I said, well, I'm sure you went over my resume. You know, I've got one year left to finish my degree. Can I do that and do this? And the AD is like, wait, you don't have your degree? And I said, no, didn't you read my resume? And they said, well, I assume since you worked for them, you knew what you were doing. And uh, <laughs> So I went back to Monticello, finished my degree. Um, actually, my senior year after my stint as interim, I, I moved out of sports information per se and became the play-by-play announcer for the school. Um, so I did, you know, radio for football, basketball, baseball, softball. Um, and, and that was really my first regular uh, entry into sports broadcast, you know, in addition to just the typical SID stuff. But, you know, the, the job mm-hmm. evolved a little bit while I was there. We did not have an athletic website um, at first. And then we had a student um, who uh, he had uh, he had moved to Arkansas. I think he had emigrated from the Soviet Union um, and was a web design student. So he put together a piecemeal website for us, which I'm sure if you went back and looked at schools' websites in the late 90s, early 2000s, they wouldn't really be anything too impressive today, given what uh, everybody's able to right. do with, you know, sidearm, CBS, etc. Um, but we had something, and, uh, you know, that was, that was one of the first big ones that we had. But I remember sitting after games, typing up press releases, and then faxing, them, faxing it out to each individual media outlet. Um, that was before we figured out how to do blast facts. So it, it was so funny just to see the things change. And as I look back at it now, just the amount of hours I had to sit back and wait to send the stories out after a game, um, you know, it, it, it evolved yeah. as I was growing. So I, you know, it was one of those things where you just have to <laughs> have to hope that, that it doesn't overwhelm you all the change. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of overwhelming, I mean, you took the office of 21. Mm-hmm. Was that a little overwhelming for you? You know, I think I was too young and stupid to be overwhelmed. Um, you know, I didn't know. Okay. Any, I, I did not know any better. I'm thinking, okay, well, I'll just step in there and do this. And, and 
you know, I was very, maybe too confident in my abilities, but I, I just stepped in there and said, yeah, I'll do it. And uh, piece of cake, you know, <laughs> it wasn't, but I wasn't going to let anybody see me sweat. Um, there was a lot of work. There was a lot of uh, trial and error, a lot of error. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I, I will say this, Jim gave me the ability to screw up. I never felt like any mistake I made was going to be fatal. Um, I, I had the ability to screw up. He'd ask me what I'd do differently and we'd talk it through. And, you know, the next day was a new day. You get up, you dust yourself off and you move on. And I think just having that uh, at that stage, I hesitate to say in my career, because I mean, they're paying me <laughs> seven bucks an hour for 20, uh, 15 to 20 hours a week, regardless of how much I was actually working. Right. Um, but, you know, just having that opportunity to learn, make mistakes and not just, you know, feel like the sky is falling uh, when you do make those mistakes allowed me to develop. Um, that was something I really appreciated. Yeah. I, I always like people that kind of keep a calm head during certain situations. Um, one thing that, because I, I'm still like, this is my first year in Indiana. So, uh, quite a bit of pressure to, to get things right when you put it out to make it like look good. You know what I mean? Yep. So, I mean, some people are afraid to get things wrong. They're afraid of criticism and everything here lately. I've been kind of stressed about some of the stuff as far as getting things right. But I remember watching the Michigan state game with coach Allen and we damn near beat Michigan state it, at Michigan state. I don't know if you watched that game, but uh, a freshman defensive back um, had a holding call on a, on a, play that we got to Brian Lewerke and we mm-hmm. would have, that would be ball turnover. We would have gotten the ball potentially have won the game, but he got called for pass interference or defensive holding or something like that. And instead of getting mad, coach Allen came out onto the field and he looked at him and he just kind of did the cut it out. He says, cut it out, move on to the next play. I saw him mouth those words and it's really helped me. I mean, what would you say to some people who are, might get caught up a little bit in their mistakes or might get uh, uh, some flack about making some mistakes and maybe feel the pressure a little bit. What would you say to them to calm down or maybe even not take themselves so seriously? You know, I think that I'll tell you this, George Brett is one of my all time favorite baseball players. And I think it was 1980. He hit 390, which, you know, as a baseball stat geek, that's just insane. But you think about it, that means 71% of the time he got out, mm-hmm. um, you know. So, you know, you can be a Hall of Famer in baseball if you're successful three out of ten times. Um, that, that's one thing I say. The other thing is it, it, as long as you're trying, as long as you're trying to do something um, to accomplish something, it's okay to stumble. Um, one of the things, uh, it's a quote that uh, – has always really resonated with me. And it's uh, from Theodore Roosevelt. It's the, the man in the arena where he says, it's not the critic that counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who's actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who never know victory nor defeat. 
I've always loved that. It just kind of gives me chills just to read it off again. But you know, the thing mm-hmm. is, you never fail unless you're trying. And 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 that's yeah. you can sit back and not try, or you can try and you're going to stumble, and it's okay. But if you learn from it, then it can be a positive. And you know, for someone who had plenty of learning experiences early in my career, um, I'm sure any one of them could have discouraged me and sent me on another path. I'm glad it didn't. Um, but I think just stay with it. It's, uh, it's okay to mess up. It, it's, it happens. I mean, we are institutions of higher learning and that is not just for the students. We are all growing and developing. Um, and I don't know everything today. I, you know, I've been at it for a while and I, I've still got a lot to learn. So that's why I make it a point to try to just talk to as many people as I can to learn what they're doing, to see how they're operating. Because you never know when somebody's going to do something, you just shake your head and say, why did I not think of that? Um, and, and I've learned from people with more experience than me. I've learned a lot from people with less experience than me. Um, you know, it's every day is an opportunity to get better. And that's kind of one of the things that keeps me going is because I never really know what's going to present itself to me on any given day. And that's, that's kind of exhilarating. Yeah. I, I think of it same way with the, the football example is today is the next mm-hmm. play, basically. You cut out yesterday. I mean, hell, I probably made mistakes yesterday. Sure. And honestly, I don't even remember it. And something that I saw today was if it's not going to worry, if it's not going to be a big deal in five years, don't spend more than five seconds worrying Absolutely. about it. That's why I kind of like, sometimes when I do make little mistakes, I'm really like, like I acknowledge that I made the mistake. That's why I practice ownership a little bit. But um, to say like, okay, next play, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way that I try to think about Absolutely. it too. So you had a year left. You tried to get a job, didn't work out, but you had to finish up your undergrad anyway. It was time to leave Monticello. So um, where were you at with life like at that time? You said you'd been bitten by the bug. So uh, what was your job search process like? Well, um, out of college. Yeah, after, after college, I, uh, I had plans to go to work at Delta state and be a graduate assistant for Fred Sington. Um, mm-hmm. but fate kind of intervened and pulled me and pulled me in another direction. Um, I probably printed out and mailed a hundred resumes just to different schools across the country to see what was out there. Um, and then one day I got an email from John Gilger, who was at the time the SID at Texas A&M Corpus Christi. Um, our, their athletic trainer at Corpus had been our athletic trainer at Monticello early in my academic career. So I reached out to him and said, Hey, if you guys have anything, you know, shoot me an email. Well, John emailed me and, uh, he had an internship position, uh, that really functioned as an assistant director. Um, but it, you know, it was, it was an internship, um, and he was very interested in talking to me about it. We spoke a few times. And then I just remember one day I'm at my grandmother's house up in northern Michigan. And John calls me up and says, OK, I want to offer you the job, but there's a problem. I'm leaving. <laughs> and uh, I said, OK. He says, my athletic director is going to call you um, and he will, um, you know, he he will be the one who has to make the offer. I don't think this is going to um start the process over, but, you know, he says, I don't know where it's going to go now that, uh, now that I'm leaving. So not knowing what's going to go on, my phone rings an hour later and, uh, it's Dan Viola. Dan was the athletic director there at the time. 
and Dan says, you know, you came very highly recommended. Um, we definitely do want to offer you the job. There's just one little difference. Uh, we need you here a week earlier than we had initially told you because there's a volleyball tournament on our campus that last week of August, and we need somebody uh-huh. here for that. And I said, well, I can get down there. I said, the problem is I've never seen a college volleyball match at this point. Um, I thought I wouldn't even know where to start. And he says, don't worry. There will be some people on hand who can kind of help you through it. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not that concerned about it. Just, just get here and help us. And we'll, uh, you know, we'll get through it together. And, and that really kind of reassured me. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm in. And, uh, so I took that job and when I got there, I, uh, I had, uh, oh gosh, I'm just trying to think about this. I had a meeting with Dan on the first or second day that I was there. And he says, well, he says, you are in a very, good position here because what we're going to do is we're really going to lean on you to help us fill this SID job because you're the one who has the experience, you know, the field, you know, um, you know, you know what to be looking for. So we're really going to lean into you to determine who the next one's going to be. They had two candidates set to come in, um, both of whom turned the job down. Um, one of whom actually taught me how to stat volleyball that weekend. Uh, it was uh, Rich Moser, and I, I haven't kept in touch with Rich uh, in the last several years. But Rich, uh, you know, in just a couple of days, got me up to speed on on volleyball and kind of hyped me up. And really, uh, he did a lot for me in that short time, just those couple of days there. Um, but uh, then they brought in third candidate, and. I just remember one night, the AD, it's probably 9 30, 10 o'clock at night, and I'm sitting in the office. I'm there by myself. I'm the only person in a D1 sports info office. And uh, I uh, Dan comes in the office and he just looks at me and says, Well, what'd you think about this guy? And I said, Dan, I loved him. He says, Are you sure? I said, Yep. He says, What was it about him that you liked? I said, To be honest, he understand sports information and he can get in here and I won't be by myself anymore. So, yep, I'm, I'm ready to work for the guy. And Dan looked at me and says, gosh, I just don't know. And again, here I am a little bit more confident than I would be in later years or, you know, uh-huh. outwardly anyway. And I just looked at him and I said, Dan, why don't you just give me the fucking job? And uh, Dan leans back, taken back a little bit. And he says, that's a hell of an idea. I'll meet with the president in the morning. And so he comes into my office nine o'clock the next morning and says, congrats. Congrats. (laughs) (laughs) So me and my big mouth, I am a uh, division one sports information director at 23 years old. They give it to me on an interim basis, um, $27,000 a year. So it wasn't Uh exactly breaking the bank, but um, I had the job. And so now I'm the dog that caught the car. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So I start, calling everybody in the country. And I'm sure there were a lot of people who were like, who the hell is this kid? And boy, what have they done down there? Um, but I just started making phone calls, picking brains and, and, and trying to find out where to go from here. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was an experience. It was drinking from a fire hose to say the least, but it was fun. Um, now I didn't stay there very long. I, um, I had a little case of homesickness, you know, I was very, very far away from my parents and I, and I just, you know, it was one of those things where I was broke, but that's okay because I really didn't have any free time to, to know it. Um, 
And then Delta State came calling. Um, and Fred Sington was leaving to go to Louisiana Monroe and just suggested that I consider that position. So, um, you know, we talked. I went up there, got a little bit of a raise, had more help. Um, I was there for a cup of coffee, won a national championship in baseball while I was there, which is one of the highlights of my career. But, you know, it, it never was it never was just the best fit for me. Uh, and, you know, I decided that I was not going to stay there very long because I wasn't particularly happy. Um, and, and again, 24 years old, I still don't know what I'm looking for. Yeah. Um, well, and then one day the alma mater comes calling. And I looked at that as, okay, here's my opportunity. So um, I left Delta. The job at my alma mater wasn't going to start until November, but I left in September, September worked in a butcher shop in the, in the uh, <laughs> layover period there, and then uh, started at Monticello, uh, you know, went back home for three years. Yeah. I want to kind of go back a little bit to when you were sure. um, 23, almost 24, uh, working at a Division One office by yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. What was different about that than when you were by yourself as an undergrad at Monticello? Well, honestly, it was media market. Um, you know, and, and, and this is true today where I am at Arkansas Tech. We're swimming in the Razorback Ocean. Um, and, and it's very hard to get any footing, um, any sort of media coverage when you are you know, swimming in that ocean. And, and even then, there was a lot more presence when it comes to newspapers than there is today. But still, I mean, you were um, – you're competing with the people in the Southeastern conference. So it was, it was tough. Now, when you go to Corpus Christi, um, you are a small fish when it comes to division one, because you've got a lot of big D one schools in the state of Texas, but Corpus Christi is a, you know, fair sized city. We had media outlets, uh, television covering everything. So it was more, um, it was certainly more media intense because we did have, TV stations who we dealt with on a daily basis. And that was very, um, that was formative for me. I, I felt like the short time I spent there was where I really learned how to interact with pitch, um, deal with media on a daily basis. Cause we had three English speaking TV stations. We had a Univision station. We had a local newspaper. Um, you know, we would get, depending on who we played, you know, San Antonio might give us a little coverage. So it, it was, uh, it was different that way because I had to, um, I really had to enhance my media, um, service over what I had at Monticello when we're dealing with primarily, you know, one daily and a handful of weekly papers. Okay. Awesome. Um, how did it feel to go back to your, uh, alma mater? It was nice. Um, it, it was a good experience for me because obviously I'm, going back to work for the person who hired me my first day on the campus. Um, and I knew what I was getting into. I felt like, uh, I had, I had built in relationships already with a good number of coaches who had been there. Um, when I was a student and had a lot of friends in the area. So it just, uh, it was a very comfortable decision to go back. Um, you know, things had changed a little bit on campus. There was a new president at the time, and, you know, anytime you have that change at the top, there's always um, there's always some operational changes that you have to navigate and sometimes some growing pains. Um, but, at, but at the end of the day, they were really trying to make some moves forward. And uh, it was 
it was a positive move for me. Awesome. Um, but how did you come to uh, Arkansas Tech? I mean, how you, what made you want to leave your, your good situation in Monticello for a second time? Well, it actually, so there was another stop after that. I, oh. I decided um, to try to go back to a Division One school. Um, and so after three years, I left Monticello and went to Oakland University up in Michigan, oh. um, which was 20 minutes away from mom and dad. Um, loved it. And, and I will I will tell you, as far as professional growth, I did the most there. Um, it was just a very neat experience going in there. I showed up about the same time as the guy who hired me. Um, Scott McDonald was the director now, who actually, Scott just started this week as the Associate AD for Communications at Northeastern University. So congratulations to Scotty on that new opportunity. But uh, Scott hired me, and with Scott's background, he had only been at big D1s. He came from Georgia Tech. I came from Arkansas Monticello. So we brought a totally divergent skill set in. But, you know, we made it work. We learned a lot from each other uh, in my time there. And then after two years, um, I had a daughter on the way. The salary wasn't great. The hours are what they are. And I just decided um, I just decided at that point that I had to uh, get out of the business. And I did for a few years. So the Arkansas Tech thing came about um, back in 2012, and I left Oakland in 2009. Um, but in 2012, I decided I wanted to get back in, and um, Tech had an opening. I knew a couple people in the department, and uh, it just came together pretty quickly and uh, worked out well. So you uh... – you bounced around quite a what I mean, I know the whole family situation to kind of get out of it. I mean, but what made you want to get mm -hmm. back into it? Because I, I mean, I'm kind of thinking the same way. If I ever start having kids, I'm going to want to stay home a little bit too. You know what I mean? So what yeah. made you want to jump back in after having those initial thoughts? Well, I, I think a lot of it had to do with, um, and, and I'll go back to when I got out. I just, Working in the Summit League, and we I was working with our women's basketball team, we didn't have a lot of media coverage. And there, there were times where I'm wondering, why, are, why am I on the road right now? What, what value am I adding by being here? Um, I was going and keeping a book. You know, at that point, social media was not what it is now. Video was not what it is now. So, you know, it was just like, what am I doing here? Um, and I had a fear that I was going to be on one of these trips you know, somewhere where we didn't have any media coverage and miss my daughter's first steps. Um, so that was really kind of my, my ticket out. Now, when it came time to get back in, I went to work in financial services. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I had a job. Um, it was yeah. just not something that I woke up and, and looked like, you know, I want to do this. This is where I want to be. It was nothing like that. Um, it was a paycheck and it was not a fun existence. So I started looking around. I looked around several places and I, I knew though that when, if I was going to get back in, the situation had to be perfect. It, it, you know, everything about it had to be exactly what I wanted. And otherwise I just, I wasn't going to get back in and overextend myself like I did before. Right. So I, I had a different set of, you know, a different perspective on it. I said, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it this way. And that's the only way I'm going to do it. And fortunately I found a spot um, and an athletic director who was incredibly supportive of that. Um, 
and and that was what made the move so and, and the decision to go back to Arkansas so easy. Awesome, awesome. Glad to hear. Um, I want to talk about uh, about about some things that you did while you were at Oakland. You said it was the most uh, kind of professional development. I know that you work with some bowl games and stuff, right? So yep. um, I know that there, we've talked about this before, but I feel like everybody kind of has a, a different way of, of doing it. Um, maybe there's somebody here right now who wants to gain that experience. I mean, what's the best way to go about um, trying to get their foot in the door with a bowl game or, or maybe any large championship like that? Well, I just reached out. Um, you know, I was actually still at Monticello when I started working the Motor City Bowl. I was I would go home for Christmas every oh. year and I, I emailed – I, I don't even remember who it was who was over the Motor City Bowl at the time. It might have been Ken Hoffman, um, who used to be the Detroit SID. But they got me in touch with Fred Stabley Jr., um, who ran the you know, stat operation and um, a lot of the press box operations on game day. And Fred said, yeah, man. He says, I'll put you to work. Just show up. There's a pass waiting for you. And after that first year you uh-huh. know, where I helped out, Fred said, okay, we'll have you back next year and I'll have a check for you. So from that point forward, you know, I worked it pretty much every year and, you know, they paid me to be on the stat crew and I would work with uh, Don Holinsky from Central Michigan and Tim Knott from Grand Valley and some people from their staffs. But, um, you know, Fred got me in and gave me a chance to uh, work that bowl game and I have always enjoyed that. Some of the other events, I, I've got to give uh, Scott, my old boss from Oakland, credit because when the NCAA basketball tournament came through, you had the regional final the first year, University of Detroit was hosting it, and Scott got us both in there. Um, so we worked that. We worked the final four, which I got to tell you, my final four job, you want to talk about a plum gig. I was the floor photo stu- steward, which meant I sit on the court right next to the basket and babysit the photographers. Best yeah. in the house. It's not even close. But yeah, so that was my job for the final four. And I, I just, I'm, I'm like a kid in a candy store. I'm looking around and thinking, man, yeah. how did I end up here? Uh, then I worked the PGA championship. Um, and, and again, Scott got us in there. Um, but it, it was just one of those things where they had bigger events coming through. And I had a boss who was willing to say, you know what? Us working these events is going to give us more experience and, and make us better than sitting in the office and holding down a chair. So let's go do it. And, uh, you know, we did. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I kind of want to say, go back to something you said about when you wanted to get back in, you said, if I do come back in, it's, I, I might be butchering your quote here, but sure. as my voice cracks, but, um, <laughs> you said, if I do get back in, it's gotta be this way and no other way. Yeah. I mean, um, how did you make that assertion to yourself? And how did you make that assertion in your job search? How did you make that assertion to your family that, hey, I want to do this, but it's only got to be basically on my terms? Well, I think I was very selective about the positions that I pursued. Um, You know, and I I talked to people I knew just to get intel, for lack of a better way of saying it. It's like, tell me about this job, this AD, what's the department like? how are they handling X, Y, Z? I did my homework and, uh, you know, there were some positions I said, you know, I I don't think I'm going to be able to get what I want there. Maybe I am here. Um, so it it was just one of those things where I really had to sit down and decide what was important to me. Um, and it wasn't that I had 
a negative feeling about going back to Division One um, because I would not have minded that at all. But I did feel like if I went to Division Two, um, maybe I'd be a little bit more in charge of my own schedule, sleeping in my own bed a little bit more, um, which was important to me. And um, you know that, so I kind of focused my search more on D two. Um, I didn't think I was going to ever go back to Arkansas uh, at that point, but uh, when the position came open at Tech, it was something where you know, I was very familiar with the AD, very familiar with a lot of the coaches on staff, and I knew from a funding standpoint that you know they were better off than we were at Monticello. Um, it was it was a better opportunity than some of the others I had seen. So I, I pursued it. And the more I learned, the more I liked it. And I felt like, okay, this, this is the fit. This is, this is the one that is going to be the good landing spot. Okay. And awesome. so it was just, I was picky. I was very picky with the jobs I applied for. Do you think that you could, anybody could be afford to be picky? I mean, maybe what if somebody's like young in their career, like say myself, I mean, do, does somebody like me, can I be afforded to be picky? Or do you think that um, some people in certain situations need to expand their horizons a little bit? Well, I, I think you have to be picky to an extent. I think you can be so picky that you close a lot of doors. Um, but a lot of it depends on what's important to you. I mean, if you are young and single and relatively unattached, then it may not be a problem for you to look at something and say, okay, here's a you know, small division two school, they've got 10 sports, the pay is not good, but I can go in there for a year, two years, probably it would be the most and uh, cut my teeth. And then while I'm doing that, build up some relationships and set myself up for the next job. I mean, I think every school for better or worse, when you come in and talk to them, they want to hear that you're in it for the long term, but they don't want to pay you for the long term. Yeah. Um, so these schools, whether they like it or not, they're either stepping stones or tombstones. And you can get in and get out or you can get in and get stuck there. Um, and some people will get into a job and be like, you know what, I'm so comfortable here, I'm just going to stay. And that's, and that's perfectly fine because if that's, you know, if that's what they want, if that's what they need, then it's perfect. But if, if you're somebody who has, you know, higher sights, um, don't be afraid to be a little bit picky. But, you know, then again, take the job and then you know, use that job, make it better to set you up for the one that you really want. So you're really, I mean, even on day one, whether you're looking or not, you're prepping for the next job. You're trying to make that place better so that when the time comes for you to walk into your supervisor's office and say, look, I'm considering pursuing this opportunity, they're not going to do anything other than give you a full-throated reference, you know, and say this, this person is absolutely the right person for the job. He came in here, had a good attitude, um, elevated the office. And if he goes, we'll miss him. But, you know, they're going to be an asset. And that's, uh, you know, that's really the approach. Awesome. Um, I kind of want to strange this part of the interview while I like to ask some fun questions for you, Paul. Fire away. First one I got is a favorite memory in your professional tenure. Oh, um, 2004, working at Delta State, winning the national championship in baseball. Um, Mike Kinnison was the head baseball coach at Delta, and he's the AD there now. And I'm going to tell you, Mike is maybe the single classiest human being I've ever worked with. The man is just um, a wonderful human being, and I, I mean this from the bottom of my heart. When you look at somebody 
who, from a character standpoint, you think that's the kind of person I want coaching my kid. It's Mike Kennison. And, uh, you know, he just, to see him win it, it, it kind of, it gave me the warm fuzzies because it's like, here's a guy who is absolutely doing things the right way. And he's achieved this. But there was a moment after the game. And if you ever talk to Matt Jones at Delta State, ask him about this too, because Matt was there too. Um, the patriarch of the program was Boo Ferris. And Boo pitched for the Red Sox back in the 50s, later became the baseball coach at Delta, uh, coached when Kennison played there. And once Coach Kennison got the trophy, he took the thing into the stands and handed it to Coach Ferris. Um, you talk about a moment. And I'm, again, getting goosebumps just thinking about it. It was one of the most memorable nights of my life and definitely the most memorable of my career. What about on the other side of the coin? What's your biggest horror story? Oh, um, you know, it's, it's hard to, it, it's hard to say just because yeah. I, had, I, I mean, we find a way to bounce back and fight through. Um, we had a couple of years ago, and, and again, in, in the grand scheme of things, this isn't going to sound so bad, but we had, uh, we were using stat crew sync for basketball. And then there was, um, you know, some cloud issue. I think it was Amazon related, but it knocked a lot of stuff um, offline. And anyway, um, so we tried to restart the program. And when we did, we lost 12 minutes of gameplay. So, yeah, I had to have my statistician that said, just sit here and stamp the rest of the game. The score's not going to be right, but forget it. I went back to my office, pulled up the video, and I input the first half. And then we combined the files after the fact just to, just to make it work. I mean, that uh-huh. was – I mean, as far as nightmares go, I mean, I guess if that's my worst, I've been pretty lucky. Yeah, you got to do what you got to do, though. And, and like it. you said, I mean, don't spend five seconds – Oh, I mean – I mean, I guess you can spend probably about five hours on worrying about something. But. Well, we survive in advance. That that was the way we looked. Exactly. Um, uh, let's see. What, what traits or characteristics uh, make a good SID in your mind? Um, adaptability. Um, because this profession is evolving every day. Um, there's something new. There's something um, – you know, there's a shiny new toy coming out every day that, you know, somebody's going to say this is the next best thing and it's going to revolutionize the way we do the business. And sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. But I think you have to be adaptable, number one, to be willing to throw away and change the things that you have always done and always known if those things are not the most effective way of doing business anymore. I mean, I took pride in the media guides I used to design. I haven't done one in over 10 years. Um because they don't work anymore, not for what we're trying to accomplish. Yeah. And, you know, when it comes to a return on investment, I could, I can move the needle a lot more doing other things. So we got rid of that. Um, we stopped doing full recaps for our uh, games simply because I found out that when we did the, the short form bullet point recaps, we got more engagement. People read them more often and they stayed on the page longer. I mean, that was Analytics back that up, and that's why we did it. Um, so I think you have to be willing to say, okay, we're going to pivot and do something different here if it works. Um, you also have to be willing to stand your ground when something's not working. 
um, and and say, okay, we're not going to jump in just yet. Um, and obviously, I mean, the, you can see this playing out in the new, you know, stat software. Some people are very adamantly opposed to making the switch now, and other people are very, you know, in favor of it. I have embraced it, but I know it's not for everybody to do right now. Um, but it's one of those things. I mean, you have to know when the right time is to make that move. Um, I think you have to be confident. You have to be agreeable. You, you know, you want to be the person who finds a way to say yes, but you also have to be the person who's not afraid to say no um, when the situation warrants it. I mean, I think that people get burned out in this profession when they're pushovers. And um, if you're going to, if you give an inch, you know, you'll never get it back. Right. It um, might as well be a back. mile. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's not to say that you don't compromise and you don't work with your coaches and other staff, but you have to understand that there, there are times you have to stand your ground. And if you're not willing to do that, um, you're not going to enjoy this profession. I, I'm really big on the assertiveness stuff. Um, kind of whole part of, uh, I call it kind of revolutionizing myself a little bit. Uh, used to be a pushover, but what do you believe? Yeah. And now they kind of, nobody really messes with me now, but a good thing, a great resource for people that maybe you're sitting there listening to this episode and it just popped in my head as Paul was talking. Um, great resource would be uh, no more Mr. Nice guy by, yeah. uh, I forget what his name, something Glover, Dr. Glover, I think is what it is. Uh, excellent book. Um, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable, but that's the point. Uh, sure. So I, I would say, I know that I volunteered, it's kind of a little preview. I volunteered to be on the men's health panel and I, I that's mm -hmm. one book that I'm definitely going to recommend to everybody. You read that first mm -hmm. before you do anything else, or I made somebody read it. Um, and they said that, man, this, I can't remember actually who I made read it, but they go, man, this person goes exactly into my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll tell you with this, within this profession, I think the, the phrase that rolls more eyes than anything else as other duties is assigned. And I mean, mm -hmm. how many of us have something that has landed on our plate that is so far away from our core functions, um, but yeah. it just landed there and what now it's our job. And, and the thing is, I think that, you know, there are some otherwise well-meaning administrators who buy into BS buzzwords and, you know, throw, well, you know, we're trying to do a service. And it's like, you know, that's great. I'm all for service. But once service takes away from my ability to do my job, it's not a service anymore. I'm doing a disservice. Um, yeah. So, we, you know, we need to figure out what the best usage of everybody's time is. And, and I think that, again, you go back to assertiveness. That's where you have to just put your foot down and say, listen, know your limits. I can't do this. I can't do this and do my job well. And, you know, if I do this, I have to give something else up. What's it going to be? Um that's not always an easy conversation to have. It's it's not frequently an easy it's conversation. It's going to be uncomfortable, yeah. But if you're not okay, here here's the thing. If you operate trying to avoid being uncomfortable, you're going to get uncomfortable because people will lob, they'll lob enough stuff on you to make you uncomfortable. And, you know, it happened to me. I burned out, walked away. It took me three years to kind of recharge my batteries and realize just how much I missed it. Yeah, All right. Uh, let's get back to some fun questions here. I mean, I could go on all day about that, man, but, uh, that, let's not go down that dangerous path. Too. Sure, sure. Um, that's for another time, but, uh, what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession? Oh boy. Um, I'm always interested. 
I, I think the crisis communications angle is always fresh um, because no matter what the situation, I mean, there, there's so much of an evolution in the media coverage that crisis communications has to evolve at, at a quicker speed to stay ahead of it. Um, I'll give you this example, and it's outside of Sports Info, but it's a PR example. We have in Russellville, there's a uh, nuclear power plant, Arkansas Nuclear One. Several years ago, there was an accident plant where a large piece of equipment was dropped and uh, killed one of the workers. And so immediately they, the company went into its crisis communications plan. The problem is they hadn't updated their plan to account for social media. So yeah. Um, uh, and there, what was the stupid app that went away? Yik Yak, I think. Oh. People were getting on and saying that this just happened. And, you know, while the company is trying to close ranks and compose a message, it's out there because, you know, Yik Yak and Twitter and whatnot, people are saying, what just happened? This just happened. And before they could even react to it, the story was out there. So it's it's one of those things where as the news cycle changes, as technology evolves, um, your crisis communication strategy has to evolve because, um, you know, before you know it, you're old news and somebody else has already crafted the narrative. So um, I think just hearing what people are doing, you know, that that's something we can hear every single year. Um, it's it's a it's always fresh. Yeah. This is something that you should probably review annually in my mind, I think, yeah. uh, or come back to that often uh, as much as you can. Um, because again, I, I think I went to a, a, a panel one time, my first ever coastside on Orlando a couple of years ago. And, uh, they mm-hmm. said, uh, do you have foodborne illness within your stadium in your crisis communication plan? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and everybody kind of looked around like what? And, <laughs> and I'll say this at our, uh, um, game the other day that we had at one of our other sports, not football. For those of you wondering, um, hot dogs were bad, uh, uh, and the marketing interns ate them. A marketing oh no. interns had to be sent home. Oh, yeah! No. Like, what do you like? What happens if they? And that was before the game even started. What would have happened had nobody eaten those hot dogs? Yeah, I mean that's a that's a nightmare. Yeah, and what one thing I've always done is um, in my scripts that I do for our PA announcers, I always put in, you know, contingency announcements, yeah. you know, and, and it's just, it's something that never changes, but it's in the script. So, oh, hey, we're going to have to evacuate due to a bomb threat. It's never happened in my career and I hope it never does. But if it does, there it is in the script and he knows what to read. So it, it's kind of one of those things where at least on that angle, we, you know, we stay ahead of it. Um, it's... <sighs> It's tough to anticipate the things that could happen that you hope never will. Right. There's a line between being paranoid about something yeah. and being prepared about something, I think. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, you, you can't throw every possible, you know, happening out there and, and have a plan for it. But you can come uh-huh. up with you can come up with workable plans that you can adapt in a pinch. Um, you know, I remember years ago, gosh, back during my Monticello days. Showed up at the gym, and the weather was pretty bad. And I asked the AD at the time, I said, hey, do we have a tornado evacuation plan? He says, nope. So he, the athletic trainer, and myself sat down over the next 30 minutes and came up with one. And we had to use it twice that day. <laughs> so 
Wow. <laughs> that was that was an interesting one. But, you know, that really, to me, drove home the value of having a plan and, and just being ready to mm-hmm. put it into place. I mean, you don't you don't always have to put a ton of thought into it. Just have something so that when something happens, everybody's at least doing the same thing. Right. Right. And there's no panic. Right. Um, let's see. What, what's a uh, work-life balance? We do to have fun. Oh, well, um, I'm a karaoke aficionado. Uh, I like to go out and, uh, and, uh, howl at the moon as it were. Um, when the weather is nice during the summer, I will go camping. Uh, there's a place I go just outside of Tahlequah, Oklahoma on the Illinois river. And I like to spend time out there. Um, I travel, you know, my kids and I, we go uh, up to Michigan for two, three weeks every summer. My parents have a house up on Lake Michigan, and we just go unwind. I kind of use that as my bookend for the year. You know, I, I finish up, go on vacation, come back, and dive into football. Um, but, you know, I just, uh, I like to travel. I like to sightsee. Um, I've actually started just, and honestly, it's more just for fun than anything, um, when I have slow times, if I don't have my kids with me, I'll, I'll drive Uber, uh, just, to get to talk to people. It's, it's the best people watching I've ever had in my life. Um, it's, it's an entertaining experience, but you know, it's just getting out there and, uh, seeing the world. That's, uh, there's a lot of stuff around me that, uh, I haven't had the chance to just experience. And I like to do that. I mean, it's, uh, something different every day. Yeah, I've uh, I've delivered for Uber, um, just mm-hmm. to kind of make it a little bit a little um, some more. I uh, kind of took a pause because I I, uh, I don't think you've ever had a real wacko in your car. I mean, I'm sure you have, but um, <laughs> I delivered to a hotel in downtown Bloomington. I, when I say downtown, most people think like, oh, downtown, but this is kind of a nice little area. Sure. Um, go to the third floor, knock on the door. Dude answers in his underwear. Um, and uh, took his uh, strawberry milkshake from Steak and Shake. And that's all he ordered. He's just living his best life. He's just, he's just out there in Bloomington, Indiana, uh, answering uh, strangers at the door in his underwear. And I was like, I, I, think, like you found, I think you found my spirit animal. <laughs> <laughs> um, next time someone's in the Russellville area, what's your uh, restaurant bar recommendation? Okay. Um, you know, there's two really good hamburger joints in town. There's one called CJ's and one called Whataburger. And I will caution people, it's not the chain. It's a it's a local establishment, um, but they're both outstanding. So if, yeah. you're, if you're into burgers, uh, we've got you covered. Awesome. Um, if anybody wanted to have any, wanted to talk with you, get in touch with you, follow up with you, what would be the best way to do it? Uh, my Twitter is uh, ptsmith109. Um, you can follow me there. I will follow you back and you can DM me. Um, that's usually the best way to get a hold of me. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, checking that daily. So yeah, <laughs> I can get back with people pretty quickly. Okay. Awesome. Well, Paul, thank you very much for coming on, kicking off your number three. We really do appreciate it. Hey, I, I appreciate it. And I, I appreciate what you do with this. It's been a, been a resource for me listening to it. And, uh, you know, obviously, uh, you know, you've had a few of my friends on here and they have enjoyed the experience too. So it's, uh, uh, you know, it's a pleasure to, uh, to join their, uh, join their ranks. Yeah. Well, awesome. Glad to hear it. We're going to keep it rolling. All right. Well, good luck to you.